Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Katie Stallard, Senior Editor, China and Global Affairs in Washington, D.C. I'm Ida Vok, Europe Correspondent in Berlin. I'm Emily Tampkin, Senior Editor, U.S. in Washington, D.C. It's Wednesday, the 23rd of February. You're listening to World Review from the New Statesman, a twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Thursday, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. And every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. This week, Russia has begun its invasion of Ukraine. I consider it necessary to take a long overdue decision to immediately recognize the independence and sovereignty of Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic. And we demand for those who took over and retain the power in Kiev to immediately stop combat activity. Otherwise, the responsibility for continuing the bloodshed will lay on the shoulders of the Ukrainian regime. How has the world responded? This is the beginning of a Russian invasion of Ukraine, so I'm going to begin to impose sanctions in response. And if Russia goes further with this invasion, we stand prepared to go further as with sanctions. We have no intention of fighting Russia. We want to send an unmistakable message, though, that the United States, together with our allies, will defend every inch of NATO territory. And what might happen next? Thank you for joining us. Let's begin. Now, I know at the top of the podcast, I said it's Wednesday and every Thursday we have a discussion-based podcast. The reason for that is that we record on Wednesdays. And although the story of um, Russia's invasion into Ukraine, it seems like we've been talking about this for months now. Indeed, we have. But the story is also in some ways quite fast moving and we don't want to give you an out-of-date podcast. And with that, Ido, if you could give us the most up-to-date update about what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. So on Monday night, Vladimir Putin recognized the independence of the two Russian-backed separatist states in eastern Ukraine, the um, Donetsk People's Republic and the um, Lugansk People's Republic. And these are states which have existed in the Donbass in eastern Ukraine since 2014. They're Russian-backed. They are uh, supported financially and militarily by Russia, but Russia has um, until now not gone as far as to offer those statelets, uh, official diplomatic recognition. And so on Monday, Putin convened a meeting of the Russian Security Council, which is a body composed of top security 
apparatchiks and um, basically on TV made them all say that they supported this policy, including some pretty sort of bone-chilling scenes where he essentially forced people who clearly did not really want to say that they supported it into saying it on TV, including his spy chief, who was visibly pretty terrified. And then that was followed by a pretty uh, pretty rambling, pretty long speech setting out a whole bunch of historic grievances against Ukraine. We've heard most of them before. You know, Ukraine is a puppet state. It's a colony of the US. It's not a real country anyway. It threatens uh, Russia's security and so on. That was followed by the recognition of the uh, LNR and DNR. So the recognition in theory of the LNR and the DNR is one thing. And then the discussion moved on to the question of the LNR and the DNR's borders, right? So the LNR and DNR claim the borders that the Luhansk and Donetsk uh, oblasts in Russia occupied in 2014. So basically, they say that the entire territory of these oblasts is their territory, except they only control about a third to half of it. And so if Russia recognized the LNR and the DNR within the, the borders that they claim for themselves, that means essentially in the legal terms that a foreign occupier is occupying parts of the territory of two sovereign states from Russia's perspective, um, which could feasibly be used to justify a war of liberation of the occupied territories of two sovereign states. That's the kind of legalistic argument that could potentially be used to launch a war of supposed liberation against Ukrainian forces. And there was some discussion as to whether Russia was recognizing the statelets within their controlled borders or within their claimed borders. And then Putin eventually came out and um, clarified that he was recognizing the LNR and DNR within their claimed borders. And um, we don't know where we are at the moment, but um, that does seem to raise tensions yet again. At the same time, we've seen Russia's build up in Western Russia now in the LNR and DNR and in Belarus continue. And it seems at this point quite likely that this is not the end of the story. This is the beginning and not the end. And similarly, it's the beginning and not the end of, well, we think it's the beginning and not the end of international responses. So on Tuesday, we got sort of the world response to Russia beginning its invasion to Ukraine. First, we're going to hear from German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. I have asked the German economy ministry today to withdraw the report on the analysis of energy supply guarantees from German regulator Bundesnexe Gentu. It sounds technical, but it's the required procedure so that there can be no certification of a pipeline now. Without this certification, Nord Stream 2 can't become operational. Ido, could you tell us a bit about the significance of the decision that Germany took? If it wasn't clear from that clip, basically Germany has said that they are suspending the certification of Nord Stream 2. For, for a very long time, as we've spoken about on this podcast before, Germany had sort of pretended that Nord Stream 2 was an economic project. It wasn't a, it had no geopolitical ramifications. Um, it was purely about, about trade and about energy. And um, more than that, successive German governments had claimed that uh, they did not have the legal tools to stop Nord Stream 2 for political reasons. And Scholz 
has shown that that is very much not the case. And in fact, he does have the legal tools to stop uh, to stop Nord Stream two, and he was able to do it for political reasons. And it is is quite significant because German government officials, so Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock, for example, are openly telling German voters that they will have to pay an economic price for Germany's foreign policy. This is ultimately going to result in higher costs for German consumers, for German households, at a time when when they're already facing a cost of living squeeze. Probably the easiest option would have been to just continue it and to continue buying gas from Russia. But the German government has decided instead to subordinate its economic interests with its political interests. And that's something that Germany really has not done very much of with its foreign policy in in recent history. And this is quite significant, actually. Dmitry Medvedev, who is now deputy chairman of Russia's Security Council, long-time Russia watchers, or even not so long-time Russia watchers, may remember him as the president about a decade ago. He was he was possibly going to be the successor to Putin. Obviously, that did not end up happening. Anyway, he got on Twitter right after the German announcement and said, like, welcome to this brave new world where you'll be paying more for your gas. So they are going to incur an, an economic price. Now, interestingly, yesterday, so on Tuesday, when President Biden made his announcement of um, of U.S. sanctions, he stressed, you know, I really want to make sure that it's that it's not American citizens who feel the consequences of this. That's not that's not the point of these sanctions. But the reality is that as this goes on and more severe sanctions are put in place, yes, there there probably is going to be an economic cost also felt by Americans, although it will in all likelihood not be as great as that which is felt by Europeans. And what were those sanctions that the U.S. announced? Um, Basically, they sanctioned two banks, although neither one is the largest in or, or most significant bank in Russia, sanctioned sovereign debt and sanctioned several elites. But but basically, this round of sanctions was meant to show that the United States could coordinate with its allies and partners, despite murmurs that they were divided, that, that they actually all could get on the same page and respond. And it was meant to show like, look, we are willing to sanction your, your banks. And if you continue to invade Ukraine, we will continue to, to sanction larger Russian state banks. We should also know that they did not restrict export controls, which there have been reports that the US and its European and Asian allies were talking about, which particularly um, tech export controls. So, you know, I think there's a debate, which is like, on the one hand, if they've already invaded, why not hit them with everything you have, so to speak? But on the other hand, if you treat it like this is already, you know, the, the, it's, it's game over, they're going further into Ukraine, there's no chance of deterrence, then there definitely won't be a chance of deterrence. And if you sanction, go ahead and sanction the largest banks now, do, do you then goad Russia into immediately just invading further? So that's the paradox limbo space within which the United States and by extension Ukraine find themselves now. But Katie, you know, we've been speaking about those that find themselves in a more adversarial position with Russia. What about China? China's trying to walk a very careful line on this. Um, I think it's probably important to say at at the outset, uh, China will definitely not want to see a full-scale war in Ukraine. Um, China has a good bilateral relationship with Ukraine, and it's a country that, for some of the same reasons that it's it's important to Russia, it could be very useful to China. Um, President Zelensky has has positioned the country as what he calls a a potential bridge to Europe for for China. It's part of what's known as the Belt and Road Initiative, this uh, 
signature foreign policy and, and infrastructure project that, that Xi Jinping is very, very closely personally associated with. Um, so it definitely does not suit China's interests to have a major conflagration in Ukraine. That said, earlier this month, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin stood together and discussed their, you know, their vision for for what amounts to a, a new world order. That they are the guardians of the international rules based order, as as they would present it. And Xi Jinping and the senior levels of the Chinese government are trying to avoid taking any position that stands against against Russia. I think the principle that China is really operating under here which they talk about with the relationship with Russia more broadly, is that they're, they're not always with each other, but they're never against each other. Um, so, so China is really trying to avoid directly criticizing Russia. And as the days go on here, it, it, it is bringing that, it, putting that into effect by criticizing the United States. So on the one hand, it's issuing fairly general, um, very typical statements calling for issues to be resolved through negotiation and consultation, stressing the importance of safeguarding regional peace and, and stability. But on the other hand, now the foreign ministry spokesperson's press conference today really put the blame squarely on, on the United States. So Hua Chunying said the US has been sending weapons to Ukraine, tightening tensions, creating panic, hyping up the possibility of warfare. To listen to her speak, you would think that it is the United States that is fanning this, not the 190,000 Russian troops um, on, on the border of Ukraine. And she calls the US the culprit of current tensions surrounding Ukraine. She says, if someone keeps pouring oil on the flame while accusing others of not doing their best to put out the fire, this behavior is irresponsible and immoral. So I think you're starting to see the strategy of offering diplomatic and rhetorical support um, for Russia, but but certainly, you know, we should be under no illusion that, that China will not welcome um, what we see happening now in Ukraine. But how that, how might that play out? Because it looks, I mean, it, look, I could very easily be wrong about this, but I, 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 and I hope to be wrong about this, but it looks like Russia is going to go further into Ukraine. Obviously, how much further we don't, we don't know yet, and that there, there is going to be I mean, I don't, I don't want to like fearmonger or scaremonger on this podcast, but it, it, there will, it does look like there will, in some capacity, be a war. So, if China doesn't want that, does it just continue to say, "Well, the U.S. started this"? I mean, how how does this play out? I think the Chinese calculus may well be that while it doesn't want this to happen, this is not in its interests. It hurts others more. So the the damage this would do to European economy to the United States credibility um, will be much more serious than it than it will be to to China and that China, I think it will try to do somewhat similar to to, to what it has been doing since two thousand and fourteen and the annexation of Crimea, which is to steadily increase bilateral trade. Russia is a very important source of oil, coal, and natural gas for China. It's a it's an overland source of, of those energy resources that, that can't be intercepted by foreign adversaries. Um, so it's Russia is such an important player for China that Beijing will not want to alienate Russia. It stands to benefit somewhat from, from strengthening that, that bilateral trade relationship. I think where the real test is going to come is how far China would go in terms of enforcing sanctions against Russia. What they have done so far 
in terms of the the sanctions that followed from 2014 is, is quietly enforce them. So Chinese state banks and Chinese uh, state companies have not violated those sanctions, despite the, the strength of, of the relationship with Russia. Um, and, it, you know, the, the test will be now, do, do they continue to do that, to, to speak out against it, volubly criticize it, offer all, all the all the diplomatic support they can and, and, and increase the trade relationship, but actually not go as far as stepping over the line. And because they stand to lose more themselves, they stand to themselves than, than you know, potentially be, be excluded from international financial systems. Chinese officials are walking a, a very careful line here. And I think no matter what they say, and, and it, you know, I think we are starting to see these, these comments um, start to pick up from the Chinese side, the real test is, is going to be what, what they actually do. Before we turn to the listener question, I've already um, opined on what I think will will happen next. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on that as well, both of you. Um, Ido, let's, let's start with you. So in the past few minutes at the time of recording, it's been reported that the US has warned Ukraine that an invasion may come within the next two days. And um, US intelligence has come uh, under quite a lot of mockery in recent months for predicting specific dates and, and so on, and a lot of skepticism. But they did more or less predict what what was happening, if not to the day, then to the week. And based on continued Russian troop movements into the LNR, DNR, Western Russia, Belarus, uh, north of Kiev, and and the fact that also these troops are in they're in advanced positions. They're basically they're, they're in uh, strike positions, which means their kind of living conditions are pretty precarious. There's a picture out there of dozens of soldiers. I think in in Western Russia in a train station just basically all packed on on top of each other without really any beds or any rations or anything um just crammed together and obviously it's, it's not possible to keep uh to keep soldiers in those conditions for very long and so russia either has to escalate or to pull back and nothing we've seen in the past few days indicates a logic of de-escalation um, everything indicates a logic of escalation including the quote-unquote diplomatic moves that russia has made to recognize the LNR and DNR within their claimed borders, which almost certainly has to involve military escalation with, with Ukraine. So, um, yeah, uh, if I had to put my neck on the line, which I, this is almost certainly wrong in some way, but but I would say that the likeliest option at this point looks like a full-scale invasion. And Katie, what about you? I think this is very dangerous and very precariously poised now. Um, I think it was right that all the signs point to Russian troops moving moving into combat formations, moving into a, an offensive posture rather than pulling back. So if the end goal here was recognizing the People's Republics of, of Donetsk and Luhansk, declaring victory and going home, that's not what we're seeing taking place on the ground now. And I think what has really changed for people watching this is Putin's speech on Monday night and the case that he laid out to the Russian people from the Kremlin, which is not to say that there is that there is popular support for this. But when you listen to his speech, he said he was recognizing these the, the People's Republics to protect innocent civilians from genocide, but that was almost a throwaway comment at, at the end of this, this hour-long tirade. 
the bulk of his speech said that Ukraine was not a country, that it has no history of genuine statehood, which, which by the way, is, is not true, and made very serious accusations. You know, he, he claimed Ukraine was trying to acquire nuclear weapons, that there are plots underway to, for terrorist cells to, to strike Russian-held territory in, in Crimea. He attempted to relitigate relit- again um, the post-Cold War security architecture of Europe. So I think listening to that speech and seeing the, the posture of Russian troops now, it's difficult to see that this ends with recognizing these people's republics. I think I think the other very ominous turn here is how much of this now seems to be concentrated in, in Putin's decision-making alone. I think when you watched that very uh, bizarre National Security Council meeting that, that Ido described on Monday, where his senior officials were sort of stammering and clearly trying to trying to intuit what it was that Putin wanted to, to hear and offer him the right answers, he does seem to be calling the shots here. And even his senior officials don't seem to fully understand what, what the plan is. I think it was striking when you saw even you know the leader of the, the Donetsk People's Republic being asked about what the borders of this state that he has proclaimed will be. He tried desperately to avoid answering the question on Russian state television, and then eventually he said, "To be honest, it wasn't discussed." Um, so even even the leader of this self-proclaimed People's Republic didn't seem to fully understand what what the plan is. Um, so this does now seem to be to be in Putin's hands, and unfortunately, you know, the, the next move looks like it is it is going to be up to him. Yeah. The the only thing I'd add there is. Um... To me, the Security Council meeting felt like uh, an exercise in demonstrative fealty because it's, we've spoken before about how on, on this podcast, invading Ukraine is bonkers from the perspective of Russian interests. I, I mean, I think it's telling that Putin's speech was so detached from reality. The only way you can believe that this is a good idea is if your entire reasoning is based on just conspiracy theories and conspiracy theories and, and and reasoning which has no basis in in reality whatsoever it it seems clear that there is not consensus for this move in the kremlin and that security council meeting seemed to me like an exercise in kind of performative authority getting all the top officials to go on camera in public to express support for this plan, which leads in the direction of war. We don't yet know if it's going to happen, but it's certainly a, a big escalation. And the logic of war at this point is pretty well established um, to get them to express their support, you know, on camera in public and kind of demonstrate Putin's authority over them. And that demonstrates quite how personalized uh, this this dynamic is, as, as you correctly say, Katie. Yeah, I think that was that's a that's a great point. It just it, it, this does feel like putting everybody on the record as being in support of this, um, so that whatever comes, there can be no claims that this was Putin acting alone, um, and that you know it's the type of thing you would do if your if your next move w- was a major escalation it doesn't mean that that necessarily is coming but it, but this is what you would do if you had already decided to move ahead yeah like you don't need 200,000 troops in belarus uh 
in Western Russia to recognize the LNR and DNR. You could have done that at any point over the last eight years without needing. It's a political move. It doesn't really change anything on the ground. Russia could have done it at any point. Well, you also wouldn't essentially tear up Minsk and risk getting sanctioned, right, for de jure sanction, for de jure recognition of something that is in de facto already, is de facto already in existence, right? Yeah, this is an extraordinary level of of risk um, to, to go to to get something that you functionally already have. Um, I think the one note of caution I would just add into this, and maybe this is, you know, in, in two days' time, this may seem hopelessly op- optimistic and, and naive, but brinkmanship looks exactly like bringing your country to, to the to the brink. You know, this is also what you would do if you were trying to force a, a you know a, a dramatic last minute in- intervention and, and some sort of major diplomatic concessions to Russia. It doesn't look like this is what it is, but it's still it's still possible that that Putin declares victory. Um, and walks away that he understands there is not domestic political support for this in Russia, that he understands this would be a long, protracted, very difficult campaign. Um, but I, th- I think I think those, you know, th- those hopes are, are definitely fading now. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman in digital, in print or both from as little as one pound a week. That's 12 weeks for just £12. That's one euro a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman World Review comes France Elects, a special podcast series exploring the main candidates and the big issues shaping the campaign to be France's next president. I'm Ido Vok. And over the next two months, I'll be joined by special guests to dissect incumbent Emmanuel Macron's record, his rivals to the right and left, and key issues such as foreign policy and the climate. Just search World Review on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. All right, well, on that bone-chilling note, um, it's time for a section that we call You Ask, you ask us. us. This question comes to us via Twitter, and it is, realistically, in a few years' time, do you think we will see any difference between this last annexation and that of Crimea? Any lasting reprisal that will destabilize Putin or cause him to withdraw? Um, okay, the first thing that we should note, thank you for this question. The first thing that we should note is that Russia has not annexed uh, Luhansk and Donetsk, they've recognized them as independent. Now you might want to say, you, you might say, well, in practice, it's the same thing, but we should be, we should be precise. Um, with that noted, um, Ido, I'll let you take first stab at this, at this question. I mean, this, this question kind of assumes that this is the end point rather than the beginning of something. And, I'm extremely skeptical that that is the case. I mean, I really, really hope that this is as bad as it's going to get, but I don't think it is as bad as it's going to get. I think this is the beginning of a process, the beginning of a plan and not the end. If this is as far as it goes, um, I think in Ukraine, in Europe, many in Russia, maybe not Putin himself, but many, many Russians, many within the Kremlin um, will be very, very relieved that, that it hasn't escalated past this. But... I do not see this logic, the, the the moves that Russia has been making, the continued build-up, the continued military build-up, the positioning of soldiers in forward positions in quite bad conditions. I do not see any of that leading to this being as far as it goes. And so the corollary to that is if this does escalate further, then this will, I mean, this is going to be seen as irrelevant, right? Um if there is an invasion of Ukraine, that going further into to maybe to the borders of Donetsk and Luhansk, like w- whatever the particular form takes, um, the particular diplomatic moves that Russia has made with regards to Donetsk and Luhansk, frankly, are not going to be the most important question. There does seem to be one one similarity to you know to 2014 and and now, or at least one similarity, which is this kind of hurry up and wait. Right, Katie, we've spoken before about how the timeline here is is sort of similar, right? This like this period of will they or won't they followed by a, oh yeah, no, they, they are. Yeah, I, I distinctly remember driving um, because these, uh, what, what were Russian forces, but were then um, soldiers without insignia had, had taken control of the airport in Crimea. Driving from Kiev to Crimea in, in late February of 2014 and hearing on the radio that that Putin has had done as he has done now appealed to the Russian upper upper house of parliament for permission to use Russian forces abroad and within hours those forces were on the ground in Crimea we we could see you know heavy artillery Russian Russian soldiers which were which were which were clearly um, pro- professional troops um, moving out of their bases and, and surrounding Ukrainian military facilities. Um, so this happened fast, but I think that the key difference is if then Ukrainian forces, and I remember like being inside Ukrainian bases with Ukrainian soldiers who were waiting for orders from Kiev for, for what to do. 
and not not getting answers and 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 some of them some of them did did decide to to go over to to the russian side they they did hand over their bases this is not what would happen now they already have their orders they will fight they have been fighting for the last 8 years um so this would be a very different proposition to the to the operation in crimea um and i think to to the to the question that now looks unfortunately like like the best case scenario that ukraine functionally loses um two more regions um to to russian control after after a long and bloody war in which more than 14,000 people have died um that looks like that looks like the best case scenario and i i think edo is right to frame this as the beginning not the end of the situation and then very quickly just in terms of the end of the question is there anything that could cause him to withdraw is i mean as as we've already said this is not if this were if this were about logic we would not be having this discussion at all right um if this were about like i'm going to if this were about the threat of the pain of sanctions or the threat of the pain to the average russian citizen um we just wouldn't we would not be recording this podcast in this way today so it's it's hard when you've left the realm of logic it's it's sort of hard to see well what will be the thing that causes him to change his mind yeah i mean this i think this is a really dangerous gamble um and i you know this this would not be a short victorious war um and i i think i don't think it's an an exaggeration to to say that if putin does go ahead with this he may well be risking the the very legacy and the and the power that he has worked for 22 years at this point now now um to build up um this would be a long difficult protracted campaign and there is not domestic support for it in russia thanks to all of you who sent in your questions listeners you can send yours in at podcasts@newstatesman.co.uk or by tweeting at us That's all the time we have for today. Join us next Monday for an interview with Mark Galliotti on what Russia's next steps in Ukraine might be. If you've enjoyed this episode of World Review, please like, subscribe, rate us, leave a review and tell your friends. Our producer has been May Robson. Thank you for listening and until next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.